So yesterday I was talking to a friend, I was a Puritan, and we were getting, you know, I was getting prepped for this morning Puritan, and um, a friend of mine, Chris Tuttle, was there, and he was asking me what I was teaching on. I was like, the one in others. He was like, what? The one in others. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I thought I'd introduce that idea to you guys. Um, in the New Testament, there's about 60 different times that that Greek word, which I don't know what that Greek word is, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it or write it or anything, there's a Greek word that means one another, and there's a, between 60 to 100 different times that that's like actually used in um, things like encourage one another, stir one another up towards love and good deeds, not give up meeting together as many are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Things like that. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Um, things of that nature. So it really is this idea of like, how do we live together? How do we put to practice these one another? So if Jesus has called us to love one another, what does that really look like? Um, last week, Brock got to teach on, um, on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Did an incredible job. And I loved how you put it into three easy questions to remember, questions and answers. What were we saved from? What were we saved for? What were we saved, or what were we saved from? What were we saved by? And what were we saved for? So we were saved from sin and death by the gospel, who Jesus is, what he has done for us on the, in his life, death, and resurrection. And then what were we saved for? But good deeds. So how do we put that into practice? That's a lot of what we're going to be talking today is that last bit of how do we put into practice those good deeds in our lives? Um, what are some practical examples of that? So as a quick preface, this is going to be kind of application heavy. I want you guys to recognize like we were saved from our sin by the gospel, not by any good works that we've done. So we're going to be talking about good works today, but I want to just remind you it's not because we're trying to earn anything from God. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to prove our love. Thank you, brother. We're not trying to prove anything um, to God. Think through like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, it says it is by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of works. It's not of our own doing so that no one can boast. One of my favorite verses is Titus 3, 5. It says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of His own mercy. Oh, that is so good. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, is, is really just, now that we've been saved, now that we understand and know the love that is God, we felt that, how do, how do we live, how do we love one another well? So, um, I'll ask you this. Do you remember the time that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. The, the author of life, the creator, God himself, who was born as a man, had all authority in heaven on our, on, and on earth. He got down and did this servant-hearted act that was typically reserved for the lowest servant of a house. He got down on his hands and knees and washed people's dirty feet. It's like, what 
an incredible example we have in Jesus and this desire that we should uh, live together in humility. And that we ought, and because he actually said that, he said, just as I have washed your feet, so also you ought to wash one another's feet. And so when we, when we start to look at those one another's, like what are these one another's, we really want to start in a place of following Christ's example in humility. So in humility, you also see verses like Philippians 2 and 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant as yourself. Do not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So like, what are some practical examples of that in our life? Um, I was just quickly thinking through some examples earlier and uh, thought about Joy and Abby, uh, good friends of ours from church that, that took our kids out to breakfast, loving on our kids and giving my wife and I a date morning. Wonderful gift. Chad and Samantha did something similar that allowed us to have a, a date night by taking care of our kids. We've got three kids at home. My immediately like being served, loving on our kids and uh, loving on us. Um, Trey and Kristen sacrificed their time for, for Trey to be able to prepare a sermon that he's going to be giving us uh, tomorrow. Or, I mean, later this morning. Um, at church, there's child care, there's greeting, there's hospitality and welcoming people into our church. There's coffee to be prepared. I don't know who prepared it, but thank you. Um, there's teaching to be done, encouragement to be given, building and grounds to be kept and clean, sound to be run. Thank you, Samuel. Video to be managed, music to be played, child care. Did I mention that yet? So ask yourself, like, are you sacrificing yourself, showing humility, and living like Jesus to serve people around you? Another big chunk of those um, of those one another's is really focused on unity. And um, so things like we should be at peace with one another. We should not grumble against one another or gossip against one another. If you think through uh, that. Uh, even Dave Ramsey, in his business, gossip is a fireable offense. Is that not incredible? Because he recognizes in his business that gossip destroys unity. And so he doesn't want any of it anywhere close to his business, in a secular business. So how much more so should that be in our church? That we would not grumble against one another, accept one another, do not envy one another, or be conceited towards one another, be of the same mind and tolerate one another. <coughs> Greet one another with a holy kiss. What? Have, I mean, have we not all read that verse and been like, wait, what? Like, is that a mistake? It wasn't even a mistake. It was written in the New Testament four different times. Paul says it three different times. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And Peter, separate dude, says... Greet one another with a kiss of love. It's like, what is that about? I thought that was unique enough that it was worth talking about. Um, imagine the way that, that we would treat our family, our closest friends, with warmth, with love, with hugs, sometimes kisses maybe. That was a different culture. Typically that was reserved for guys would literally kiss other guys. And I've been to another culture 
where that was a regular occurrence, not so much here. And maybe that's OK. Maybe that's something we'll start. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but you can get the idea. The whole point of it is not, um, or it, it's not so much the kiss, but to show a sign of brotherly love, of camaraderie, that we care for one another, like that we legitimately are unified, and that we are friends. I mean, consider this world that we live in. If you've seen the news, you've seen the hashtag Me Too, right? Like this is a sensitive subject. The point is holiness, holy kiss, the kiss of love. This should by no means be used as a means of any, any sort of selfishness. But ultimately, the idea is greet one another with a holiness. Like, greet one another with a holy high five, greet one another with a holy hug, holy twist bump, whatever it might be. But love one another and prove it by the way that you care for one another, even as, as far as physical affection. But be holy and greet one another warmly. Show hospitality. Amy and I, I mean, that book, I think it was Noah that snagged that. Uh, Compelling Community is an incredible book. If you didn't get it for free today, you can buy it. I recommend it. It's incredible. In that, it talks a lot about hospitality, inviting people over, showing people love by, by feeding people, by sharing a meal, things of that nature. Um, Amy and I have tried to make that a big practice in our home, so uh, we recommend that you do it. In fact, I know of a handful of college students, even in this very room, that have taken it upon themselves to say, hey, we want to, to create a unity in our church body that goes beyond even the people in this room, but the whole church. And so I know of, in, uh, in my sphere of influence, I've seen Kyle, Jake, Chandler, Garrett, all, all four of those dudes have, have taken upon themselves to go out and invite older members into their homes, into their apartments, and just, be, I don't even know what you guys fed them, but I'm sure it was glorious doesn't matter. Um, the, what was more important was the hospitality and the fellowship that happened there. I actually wrote a few of the people that I knew that were doing that and um, asked them, hey, could you give me some thoughts? Like, I know, I heard that, that, that Kyle and those guys invited you over, David, and Ann Covington wrote that to me. They said, we were surprised when the college students invited us over initially. Sure, there was some awkwardness because we're old enough to be their parents. Um, but it was a new thing. And from the very beginning, though, we were impressed and thought it was an awesome idea. It also convicted us that we should show more hospitality, and it encouraged us to do so. We love hosting, but time flies past without us doing anything as often as we'd like, especially with people not like us, whether that's cross-generational or cross-cultural boundaries. We really enjoyed our time with those guys. They also did a great job of steering the conversation in a spiritual direction. Michael and Debbie Morgan, if you guys know them, also were invited over. I asked them about it. We were thrilled to be invited. Not only was it fun and the food was great, but it encouraged us towards our own hospitality. It was especially meaningful because of the age difference and that it was the youngers inviting over the olders. That invitation broadened our vision of what it means to be in the church body where different generations interact. Hospitality doesn't have to be elaborate. In fact, simple is better. 
and puts the emphasis on the fellowship. My takeaway is to open our house more to others. And Frank and Nancy Hannon, if you guys have them, also awesome. And they provided some feedback. It was so cool that they invited us over. It made us feel so special. They didn't have to invite us over. They could have invited anyone, but they chose us, and it was great. It made me want to just open up, like literally, Nancy sitting there talking to me. She was like, literally, I wanted to just open up the member directory and just look for somebody I didn't recognize, call them, and invite them over. That was how cool it felt um, and the impact that it made. Hospitality like that deepens relationships. This is still Nancy talking about me. She said, hospitality like that deepens relationships. Once we have shared a meal together and had conversation and fellowship together, we know each other so much more deeply. We really appreciate those guys' intentionality towards diversity in our church. Um, so, so us in college, uh, in college, you guys in college, um, you know, you guys have maybe restricted living spaces, restricted budgets, whatever. Um, but it doesn't even matter. Make make a blue box of mac and cheese, order a pizza, invite people over, and the main point is to share a meal. I actually even remember when Chase Chapman, Chase, I think so, Chase is here, yeah, he's here. Chase invited me over, and we ate at the broth, and it was awesome. <laughs> like, I mean, that's hospitality. I think he even paid for my meal. It was incredible. Um, great fellowship, and so, Sam Connect, I was hanging out with him earlier this week, and he actually, even said, formality hinders relationships. So in this sense, like, don't make a big thing of it. Invite people over. Build relationships. Go to Puritan or Onyx, on Carmen's, whatever. Not a big deal. But show hospitality. And outdo one another in showing honor. That is a sweet verse, right? I mean, raise the bar towards each other on showing honor. I mean, there's no end to that verse. Like, you can't ever feel like, oh, I've accomplished it. I mean, all you've done is like hit the ball over the net maybe, but you know that it's soon coming back to you to be able to raise the bar and show them honor again. Another big big segment of those one another's in the 60-ish different times that, that that phrase is used in the New Testament um, is, is really built around building others up. Look at training one another, teaching one another, admonishing one another, exhorting one another, as often as it is called today. That's how often we should be exhorting one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I mean, think about teaching one another. Sounds a whole lot like the Great Commission, doesn't it? I mean, we should be seeking to make disciples, teaching people to obey all that Jesus has commanded of us. Primarily, love one another. Uh, speak, uh, seek to do spiritual good for one another. Quoting Sam uh, twice, Sam Connect, he, he texted me earlier this week and he said, what do you wish that you'd been told in college? Pretty cool question, right? I've been out of college for something like 10 years, so I had a, a good amount to reflect on. I'm not even gonna tell you what, I, what my answer was, the main point was that question, is what do you wish that you had been told in college? And then we had a whole conversation on what we wish that somebody would have done for us, and then we kind of encouraged each other like, okay, go find some people and tell them that, 
do that very thing for somebody else. So maybe if you're a junior in college, go, what, what do I wish I knew when I was a freshman? Find a freshman. Or maybe you're a freshman. What do I wish I would have known when I was a high school senior? We've got high school seniors here. Find them. Teach them. Do it. Another big part is encouraging. Encourage one another. I already read this verse earlier, but let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and towards good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, which I think is actually the same one another, meet with one another or meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you say, see the day drawing near. I regularly ask myself this question, typically when I'm feeling entitled or deserving or that I have a right to be treated a certain way, like, I feel like somebody should encourage me. I would really love it if somebody would write me a note of encouragement. I wish somebody would call me and just tell me that they appreciated me. I think of those things. You guys have been there too, I'm sure. Like, I wish somebody would just do this nice thing for me. I think about it. I ask myself, what do I wish someone would do for me? And here's my practice. I go and I do that thing for somebody else. Right? And maybe it'll be reciprocated someday, maybe not. That's not the point. Really, the practice is to consider the difference between what our world tells us. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Like, we've all heard that. I mean, any restaurant you go to, any um, dessert you're thinking about, whatever it might be, treat yourself. But Jesus said, treat others as you would like to be treated. So ask yourself, how am I? I want somebody to treat me. And go and do that for somebody else. Um, I think we have to print it off. If we don't, we'll get that out to you guys. Um, a list of all of those verses. If, if it's not here, I'm not seeing it around, now that I'm looking around. Um, but there's actually a list that we made yesterday of all of those verses in the New Testament that, that are the, the one another's. We're going to pass those out um, and get those to you guys. But um, so there's a whole lot more. Once we get those handed out to you guys, I like literally what I'm going to do is I'm going to like post it up, maybe it, in my mirror where I get ready during the day, maybe next to my desk at work. I'm just going to have this consistent reminder of like, here's what I should be doing as a, as one of the one another's for our church. All right, so who are we practicing these one another's with? Like when Jesus tells the disciples to love one another, who's he talking to? And who, when we think of ap applying this, who, who should we do that with? And that answer, in short, is the local church. You think about um, Brock's teaching in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is what will we say from sin? What were we saved by? The gospel, the love of Jesus. What were we saved for? Good works. The next half of that chapter talks about how we are one as Christ's church, as his body, as his temple, as his family. We are co-heirs to, uh, to the kingdom of God with Christ. That's incredible. So that's the big church, right? Like, there's only one of those churches. There's not multiple churches. That, that big church 
is all of the believers, all the people that would say that put their faith in Jesus and follow his authority. That's all of the believers of all time are that church. But then the New Testament talks about other churches. We've got, hey, the churches of Asia sent their greetings. Okay, that's a regional. So think like the churches in Fayetteville. There's a whole lot of churches here. And we love them, right? But then there's very specific churches, like the gathering in so-and-so's house. Like that is a house church or a group of people like UB, excuse me, UBC. We are a local church. And so you think through that. Um, and even look at like Titus 1. So Paul on a missionary journey going and telling people about the love of God in Christ. And as he's traveling through, he goes through Crete, giant island in the Mediterranean, and he actually leaves one of his bros behind. He's like, Titus, dude, you stay here. And then he writes him a letter later. I, I, maybe they talked about it beforehand, but at some point, he leaves Titus behind. And then he writes a letter, and at the very beginning of the letter, he says, and this is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. Okay, so what does that really mean? They just went through Crete, led a whole bunch of people to Christ in a way that they said, wow, God loves me this much that he would send his only son to take my sins away. This is amazing. I'm in, I believe, and they were out trying to love one another. And he said, put what remained into order and appoint elders. And what is it that elders even do except for pastor the flock. They shepherd. They lead the church and the people in it to maturity in Christ. So if wherever there's elders, there's a flock. So there are many churches in this community of Northwest Arkansas, but we are members and or attenders at University Baptist Church, so we are congregated and held accountable and under the authority of this local church. So we treat it differently. So it was actually a few years ago that Amy and I really realized, like, we want to be more focused there. Like, we love so many people in Northwest Arkansas. We have friends across all these different churches. But we recognize, like, the, the Bible tells us to love one another primarily within the confines of the local church. And so that's what we decided to do. We made the bittersweet call to intentionally start directing more of our time our attention and our affections towards people in this room versus people in other churches' rooms right now, right? And so that had a legitimate impact on how we spent our time, who we spent our time with, and we have loved it. It has been so rich, so full, as bittersweet as it is. Yes, we're still very dear friends with with those that, that go to other churches, and we love them, and we love their, their churches even. But our primary focus is here at UBC. Um, you can also consider this. This may have gone well under the humility section, but um, I was thinking about it and considering it as I was prepping yesterday, and I was at Puritan, enjoying beverages, hanging out with friends, and Amy was at home taking care of our, uh, our children. And she loves, like, I mean, she loves our family with this level of humility that will baffle anyone who witnesses it 
I mean, she works probably 60 or 70 hours a day, and she's just constantly <laughs> considering others as more important than herself. I mean, she's, she considers me as more important than herself, her children. It is amazing to see her disciple her kids and uh, see the way that she, she loves, loves them and wants them to uh, love others as well. And also think about this, in Ephesians 5, if you guys have ever been to a wedding, you've, you've heard Ephesians 5 talking about submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And right after that, he goes into, and wives, do X, Y, Z. And husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, that's awesome. And a lot of times, it's really, I mean, Reasonably so. That's who Paul's talking to is the husbands. But when you really think about it, what is he saying? He's saying, like, love Christ as, or love your wife as Christ loved the church. So what if we switch that out and said, love the church like Christ loved the church? I mean, have you ever thought about it in that, that those terms? I mean, really, how can we aspire if if that's telling husbands to love the church a whole lot? And how can we as well apply that to ourselves in the way that we love our church as well? Love the church as Christ loved the church. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you can easily ask yourself, like, is that how I would be defined? Like, could I say Michael did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? Or to give his life to serve me. I have a friend who um, I was talking to the other day, and she was like, I don't know if I want to just to join. She actually goes to a different church. She goes to New Heights. She's like, I don't know if I want to join a discovery group. I'm just, I don't know that I'll have anything in common with all of those people. So some of you guys may be thinking the same thing about life groups. I don't know. The Gaggers are like 10 years older than us. I don't know. We really have a whole lot in common. Um, but consider this, uh, that if two people are in Christ, they have more in common with each other than what they would have with anyone else in the world that they may even be related to uh, that is not in Christ, right? In Christ, we have more in common, those of us sitting in this room, we have more in common with a 70-year-old widow in a tribe of Papua New Guinea than we might have with our own family members, friends, or even spouses that are not believers. Is that not something wild to wrap your mind around? So we can love in that same way. All right. So some of you may be thinking like, okay, so if we're spending so much of our time loving our church, what about the other, I don't know, five, six billion people on the planet that may not be in the church or may not be in our church. What about them? Love one another is actually a one of the one another's. And it's given 13 times. It's one third of all of the times that, uh, that that one another verse is used or that one another word. And Jesus says it in one quick section. He gives like four of those. He says, uh, a new commandment I give to you, love one another, just as 
I have loved you, so also you should love one another. And this is how they will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus also says, it, so in that same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. So think about it. Are you loving and living in a way that people will see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven? Look at Acts 2, early church, first church that was planted. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They shared everything they had. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They loved so much, each other so much that people saw it. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Consider that what we talked about when I taught, if you were here, great, if you heard the podcast, wonderful, I taught a few weeks ago. Talked about the chief end of man, which includes the people, the church of the Old and New Testament. The achievement of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so that's not only a New Testament idea. You can even look back before Christ in the Old Testament. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all given a very similar promise. He said, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and will dishonor those that, that curse. And then you, check this out. In you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's incredible. You can think of other stories like Daniel and the lion's den, or um, David and Goliath, different stories like that, that all have that same point, that God was preparing a people to put his character on display. And so in that very same way, like, we are, like, our purpose is to love one another in a way that puts God's character, His love, and His glory on display to a watching world. As for as for considering that, like how ought we love one another and putting that love on display? You you can really just focus on Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus who was the creator, God, has all authority in heaven and on earth. He became a baby in a manger? What? Like, he didn't even become like a baby in today's day and age, like where he could have had like a luxurious hospital stay. No, he was born in a barn. That's insane. And um, you, it just points to the way that he served and loved and came humbly um, and he lived and served in a way, blessing all. I mean, he would go into a town and he would bless everyone. Anyone who touched his cloaks would be healed. Like, anyone? I like, guess he loved all people. 
sent on mission, but he spent his primary time and focus and energy on teaching his disciples, the church, to love one another as he was going about blessing and being good and doing good works in front of all the world. So yes, love the church primarily while you're loving the world and everyone in it. There may even be some of, of you in this room um, that love God and love others so well that we as a church at UBC may decide, hey, we want to send you to go and to teach others in another place how to love God and love one another and love others in that same way. So it's absolutely missional. The idea of loving one another and loving our church is by no means an idea of like calling us into some sort of cult that only looks at ourselves, but we love one another in the context of the world, and we love the world as well. Kyle Smith the other day gave me this quote as, as I was telling what we were talking about. He said, love, love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. I think he was quoting John Piper, but still, he sounded awesome when he said it. <laughs> love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. So we do not do these things as if we hope it will return or earn us any sort of righteousness, but because of our love that we've received from God, because we love because He first loved us, right? And so I am super excited about even just looking at this room, thinking about how we in this room right now that we're about to break up into discussions, but we're about to uh, really just start thinking, how can we apply this this week, today even? How can we love one another in a way that brings glory to our God who is in heaven? Um, yeah, before we jump into our discussion groups, though, because we've still got a solid 20, 30 minutes, uh, we're going to break up into groups to discuss this. There's discussion uh, discussion questions on the, on the tables. But um, what I want to ask of you guys, if you'll do this, is to text me your application. Just one. Just one application for the week. I want to hear, like, this is the one another that I'm going to work on this week or this day. Here's my phone number. It's in the member directory if you have one. But I'm going to tell you, please, like seriously, I'm not even kidding. This will be the best text bomb ever. Um, and when you text me, actually tell me who you are. Maybe even if you want to text me like a selfie, just like put a name and face so that we can get a little bit, uh, yeah, build that relationship. But, um, yeah, my phone number, 479. 409-8613. 409 8613 um, This will be incredible. It might be overwhelming. Probably will be overwhelming, but it will be so fun anyways. Um, tech, you guys break up. Let's have some discussion on the one another's. How are we going to put this into practice in our lives? Um, before we do that, let's just, uh, I'm going to close this up in prayer.